Welcome to Do I Need My Racket podcast, brought to you by In Her Name Foundation. And I am Cindy Swain, your host. This podcast is about women in sports. It's a podcast that shares stories of triumph, heartache, and inspiration, something we can all learn from. Do I Need My Racket podcast challenges each of us to explore what rackets we carry and how we use those rackets to swing at life, hit or miss. So thanks to all of you out there for listening and joining us for this episode, number 13. It's more than a game. Well, if there's one thing I have learned as I grow older is that we are gifted insight and wisdom, if we're willing to recognize it. My guest, former Michigan State University assistant and standout soccer coach, Stacy DeLong, shares her insight and wisdom about playing soccer and coaching and how it shaped her life on and off the field. And what my interview with Stacy did for me was give me a nudge, a wink from God, as Stacy likes to describe it, to take a chance to step back and look at my experiences of playing soccer, although limited, and how it related to teamwork and truly being on a team. In 1986, I graduated from the University of Kansas as a physical therapist, and early on in my career, the fall of 1987, I had the privilege to work at the Rehabilitation Institute in Kansas City, Missouri, a freestanding nonprofit rehabilitation hospital that treated every neurological condition imaginable from spinal cord injury, head trauma, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, stroke, amputees, and we never turned anyone away. The Rehab Institute prided itself in working as a team and being a part of a team. Together, I worked with many other professionals, occupational therapists, speech therapists, social workers, nurses, psychologists, and physicians. It was a level playing field, an understanding we all had an important role to play, like everyone on the soccer field, not one of us more important than the other. We were all equally important. Shortly after I started work there, the occupational therapy department asked me to join them on their, quote, recreational soccer team. I said, sure, never played before, but thinking, how hard could it be? You run, you kick the ball, you put it in the net, you score, you win. But I don't think they completely defined clearly enough what they meant by recreational soccer. When the game started, I was already gassed because you actually have to run sprints up and down the field. I had the ball and what I thought was a clean breakaway, an easy score right into the net. As I was swinging my leg to kick the ball, a defender came from nowhere, slid underneath me, stealing the ball, snuffing out any sense of glory or accomplishment. I lay in a heap with a twisted knee while the play continued in the opposite direction. Had I just looked up and left to a teammate and passed the ball, we would have scored easily. Who knew, right? Well, after a few more no longer sprints, but slow jogs up and down the field, mixed in together with several body slams into the perimeter wall that hugged the boundary line, at halftime, I begged out happily, relegating myself to the role of, does anyone need any water? Well, the next day at work, let's just say it wasn't a good look for a physical therapist to walk into work at a rehabilitation hospital with a limp and back and neck muscles so sore that I could hardly turn my head. As I walked into the PT office, completely in disarray and eked out 
what I thought was a, not a clear understanding of what recreational soccer meant to the occupational therapy department, my team burst, and I mean burst, into laughter. And that is where my concept of teamwork started to take shape. Don't be afraid to laugh at your mistakes and move on. That is how Stacy DeLong coaches. Working at the Rehabilitation Institute was difficult work, emotionally, strategically, and physically. But it was also rewarding when you felt like you could have an impact on someone's life for the better. That toughness brought us together closer as a team. That laughter brought us closer together as a team in good times and in difficult times. Well, every Thanksgiving, there was an award aptly called the Turkey of the Year. It was a goofy award given to someone who had done something inadvertently funny. While I was walking down the hallway one day, the director of nursing exited the women's restroom with the back bottom of her skirt tucked into the top waistband of her pantyhose. And it wasn't just a small tuck. It was a full-on flasher. I being new and not yet having found my voice to speak up, was horrified. Do I say something? Do I not say something? A momentary dilemma I am sure all of us have experienced at some point in time. I was hoping that one of her colleagues walking aside her would have noticed, but they didn't and kept walking. In an all-out panic, I decided to speak. And all that came out was a loud squawk, so loud and awkward, all eyes turned toward me, including the director of nursing. So now she was flashing the other end of the hallway. At that point, I lost it. All I could do was laugh and point, and thankfully, someone finally noticed, pulled her skirt out of the top of her pantyhose. And I don't know if at any other time in my working career that I laughed that hard, along with everyone else in the hallway. Again, teamwork. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. And if you do, laugh. Stacy DeLong talks about if you're in the center of a dance circle at a party, laugh. Be yourself and dance. Well, the director of nursing hands down won Turkey of the Year and proudly accepted her construction paper turkey hat to prove it. I was runner-up for squawking. And maybe that hallway incident of Turkey of the Year was there to prepare me, to pad me for what happened next. It was something you talk about, practice for, organize emergency plans for, but yet hope it never happens. I was reviewing discharge plans with a patient and his wife. The patient had been at the center for months working diligently every day to get better so he could get to the point where he could go home to his wife of 50 years. As he sat in his wheelchair, suddenly he clutched his chest and stopped talking. I knew immediately what was happening, a full cardiac arrest. I tipped his wheelchair back, putting his head in my lap, and shouted out to my colleague across the mat, call a code. What seemed to be like long forever minutes were merely seconds. I watched the color and life wash away in a mere moment. By the time we got him on the gurney and started CPR, he was gone in a whisper. 
ruptured aortic aneurysm. Nothing anyone could do. His wife, devastated. Me in a complete state of shock, along with everyone else that tried to help that day. We worked as a team, seamlessly, not one of us greater than the other, but we also lost as a team. The remainder of that day, my director took us out to lunch, to talk, to debrief. She canceled all the patients on our schedules, told us to go home, relax, take a walk. But most importantly, she put her hand on my shoulder and said, you probably don't want to come to work tomorrow, but you need to come to work tomorrow. Again, you win as a team and you lose as a team, but you have to keep going, says Stacy DeLong. I went back to work that day, which was the absolute last place I wanted to be on earth. I walked in saying, I don't want to be a physical therapist anymore. I'm not good enough. I'm not cut out for this. I'm just not made to be in healthcare. But my team was there to say, keep going. You are good at what you do, they said. Give it time. In the weeks and months that followed, there was constant support, but I kept doubting myself multiple times. But there was always someone there from my team I could lean on. And what I remember most, the director of nursing, where multiple times she would take me aside and talk to me about trauma, about being a healthcare provider, and about loss. I will never forget that. It has been 35 years since I worked at the Rehabilitation Institute in Kansas City, Missouri. And I've proudly now been a physical therapist for 38 years. But that experience there that helped me learn to encourage, to hope, to laugh, to cry, to be a part of the team, shaped how I approached my entire career. We are on a team, all playing together, even though at times we may not realize it. Most importantly, knowing that it's a level playing field. We are all equal. So thank you, Stacy, for giving me that nudge, a wink from God, a chance to share, a chance to listen to your story, your wins and losses, and how soccer shaped your life. Because it's more than a game. So here we go. again for another podcast episode. Today, I am with Stacy DeLong. And when you think about Stacy, the one word that comes to mind, soccer. Welcome, Stacy. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Yeah, I am happy to have you on the show today, too. So let's talk about where you grew up and how you got into soccer. Sure. So I was born and raised in Madison, Wisconsin, um, the dairy land, the true dairy land. Okay. And well, I know Michigan's going to argue with that, but okay. They might, they might. I'll give you the mitten state there, but okay. 
so yeah, so I have an older brother and my dad originally, um, out of college was a phi ed teacher. Was a phi ed teacher? Correct. So he, my little brother got, or my big brother got involved in sports and my dad decided he would coach all the things. Mm -hmm. So my brother and I are two years apart and apparently I wanted to do all the things my brother wanted to do. So we got involved in soccer. Mm -hmm. And so my dad coached me up until I was about 10 or 11. And then he said, Stacy, I, I don't know how to teach you anymore. Mm -hmm. So, um, I had been playing with the boys mm-hmm. um, on boys teams growing up and there was a local soccer because club. Because they didn't have girls teams available for you they, or. They did. Um, they were harder to find. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, my parents had three kids at that time and it was hard to, mm-hmm. you know, maybe do some traveling. So we wanted to stay local. Okay. So I grew up playing for the Madison 56ers. I had an incredible uh, Venezuelan soccer coach mm-hmm. named Jesus and just kind of started to have all these adventures with soccer that I never dreamed of. So what attract, you played all the sports, but what really caught you for soccer? What attracted you to the game? What was it that just really, you found like, this is just it for me? I don't, for me, I loved little league soccer, basketball, volleyball, but it wasn't until about eighth grade Mm -hmm. that I truly figured out that, I just had this enormous passion for the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in my sophomore year of high school, that's when the World Cup was in France in uh-huh. 1998. And I became obsessed. Yeah. I started to like have an open mind. This is truly the world's game. It is. It's played everywhere. everywhere. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. It's a universal game. Oh, and it's, it's, I was fortunate enough in high school two times to be able to go over to Europe and play. Mm-hmm. Where did you go? Um, I, my first adventure was, we went to London, England. Uh-huh. We stayed at Oxford. Oh, cool. Which is amazing. I had no idea at the time. Um, from there, we went on to Amsterdam mm-hmm. in the Netherlands. And then my junior year, we went back to Denmark and Norway. So how did you, what team and how did you get there to qualify for that kind of play? Sure. So um, growing up, there's a program called the Olympic Development Program. Right. I know about that. So we, so I would try out for this program. Mm -hmm. And as you continue to make certain levels, um, you get exposed to different um, teams. Uh Well, one day at a summer camp at this Olympic Development Program, um, a friend of mine who played for a different club team said, our goalie was supposed to come with us to, to Europe and she can't, can you come? So I called my parents and I said, can I go to Europe? They need a goalie. (laughs) And they said, and they said, what? Um, you know, and I, and I give my parents so much credit. Um, I had lost my little sister when we were younger. Right. And they really opened their eyes to, you know, life is short. Mm -hmm. We want you to have opportunities. We want you to see the world. They really taught that perspective early on. So how old were you when you lost your sister? I was seven. And how old was she? She was four. She was four. Yep. She and that, did that happen suddenly? So she had been born with a condition where she didn't fuse up the middle. So she had mm-hmm. a couple things going on at birth, um, mm-hmm. cleft palate. She had two holes in her heart and then she had a hernia. Mm. So she was in and out of the hospitals her whole life. Um, Thanksgiving day, she went in for open heart surgery and they uh, went to close her up and the surgery was completed, but they never were able to get her heart started again. Oh. So it turned out that she, um, unfortunately, the, the doctors, they had punctured the back end of her heart when sewing mm. her out. So mm. she unfortunately um, bled out. And I'll, I mean, it's a moment 
as I'm sure you know, is a moment in time that you'll not forget. Never forget. I remember I was at the Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it had just come out in the theaters. And I get home to a friend's house and they're like, you need to go to the hospital. I walk in and there's my entire family, my cousins. They're mm-hmm. all playing Uno. In the hospital? <laughs> in the hospital, on the floor. Mm-hmm. They're sitting on the floor playing Uno and they're crying. <laughs> and was she still alive when you got to the hospital? No. Or she'd already died. Well, as I walked into the visitor's room, mm-hmm. my cousin who was one year younger than me was already there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he you know, the things you do when you're young, he was six and he jumps up and he says, Nikki's dead. And I just, I, I, what what were you thinking? I don't know. At seven. I mean, what do you, I had no idea. It's the first time I saw my father cry. Mm -hmm. So that was a moment where you look at this, in my opinion, in my eyes at that age, this, this big, strong dad, this Mm -hmm. man in my life who I've never seen, you know, break before. Yes. And he just, my dad, um, picked me up and held me and, um, you know, I, I can relate to that because I watched my parents lose mm-hmm. a daughter and I don't think as a parent, there's anything more difficult than losing a child. It's being a parent myself and watching my parents go through that. I really understand you know, where your dad was coming from. Cause I, it, it just leveled my parents. I had, I had no idea at the time, mm-hmm. no idea. And so how do you think about that now? Because you're a mother of two young ones. Yes. I'm sure that goes through your mind. Oh, it was, it was t- terrifying. When I gave birth to my first, I was like, well, we need to have another one just in case. And my husband was like, just in case what? And I was, you know, I've been, mm-hmm. I, unfortunately I had lost a best friend at 14. Mm. Um, and then when the, you were in high school, um, the summer between eighth grade and, and high freshman school? year. Yep. Um, she was hit by a car on oh State Street in downtown Madison. Um, her parents were away when it mm-hmm. happened. They had never allowed her to go downtown, but mm. the babysitter did. Oh. So um, I had experienced loss and grief before right? Um, as a friend and as a sister. But until you have the birth of that first child, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> it goes hard. through your mind. Yes. Absolutely. So... Um, I've, I've learned to cherish those moments, mm-hmm. but yeah. So, you know, to, to, so your, your parents rallied, they did. Um, and they really supported your soccer. Oh, incredible amounts. They, um, when I had gotten back from that first trip to Europe mm-hmm. and I just, I guess was nonstop scrapbooking was a big thing back in the day. So right. I, I went st- through that phase yes, myself. Yes. Got about three pages done <laughs> in about a year. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so they, they saw my photos and they saw how much the trip kind of changed me. Mm-hmm. I was able to see things over there that I had just not experienced before. So my mom suggested, well, what if we did that with your club team? So um, everyone was on board. We started fundraising. We would bag groceries. We mm-hmm. would go, you know, work concession stands at, um, mm-hmm. the Badger games at, you know, at university of Wisconsin. And we arranged a trip and we went to Denmark and Norway. And again, by my senior year of high school, I had had two life-changing experiences to Absolutely. see the world. Oh yeah. What yeah. a great opportunity. Oh, it was incredible. And, and in fact, it also opened my doorway to recognize that I wanted to do it again. And I studied abroad in Spain, Mm -hmm. my senior year of college, senior year of college. So, um, I was just getting to that because you, you grew up in Wisconsin mm -hmm. and then were recruited highly by university of Michigan, Minnesota and Michigan state. Yes. And tell us about that. Yeah. So recruiting was way easier 
you know, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky enough to have a lot of great exposure and um, college coaches were calling um, a lot. That was exciting to feel like you were, you, to know you were needed and wanted. Well, I can imagine having played overseas and qualified for the Olympic development program. And um, just from what I've read about you, a phenomenal goalie, you, you were playing at a really elite level. I had no idea. And you had no idea. No idea. I, you know, and I think that's true for a lot of athletes because you, you, you love the sport, mm-hmm. you know, and that was kind of the way it was when I was playing tennis, but you don't sometimes realize how good you are. It never dawned on me. I was just out there doing my thing mm-hmm. and it brought me, I mean, I've told people soccer has given me the world. Mm-hmm. It has taught me about teamwork. It has mm-hmm. taught me about leadership. It has shown me the world getting to travel. Mm-hmm. I met my husband through soccer. I got my education through soccer and I'll never forget my parents. They made sure I knew that. Um, they didn't tell me how good I was, but they made sure that I knew how much the sport had given me. Right. And so they instilled in me a value to, to give back and want to, want to do that. And mm-hmm. I'll never forget my senior year. I was walking off the practice field at Michigan state mm-hmm. where I had had a four year career um, a wonderful career. And my head coach, Tom Saxton, one of the most incredible people in the world Mm -hmm. and one of the most intelligent and well-rounded persons, he came up to me and he said, Hey, how would you like to be a goalie coach with us next year? And I was like, (laughs) I can remember thinking you, you can do that. Like (laughs) that can be a real job. And it was for how long? It was. I stayed at Michigan State for 17 years as a coach. Coaching goalies. Coach, so I was a little... And good at coaching goalies, (laughs) I might add. (laughs) Um, I was lucky enough to coach some incredible student athletes. Um, I got to go back and forth later in my career to coach the field players as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm definitely an X's and O's type of coach. Mm -hmm. I love the the tactical positioning and, you know, defensive strategy. Exactly. And I had gotten started in my position very late in life. So I was actually a center midfielder till I was about 14 or 15. Okay. And And then when did you start playing goalie? Well, I was goofing around at practice one day and I jumped in goal and I made a couple saves and my teammates were like, well, you, you should do that. You should be a goalie. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. (laughs) All right. I'll try it. Sure. And to me, I think, well, obviously that's the most high pressure position I think on the team is goalie. Yes. And it amazes me like penalty kicks or overtime when they all line up and they just give you your best shot and just one after the other and everybody's watching you. Let's go. How is that? Let's go. Well, you know, goalies were all um any sport, I truly believe. The goalkeepers are a little quirky. <laughs> we're, we're a little different. Um, what, how, so how, how, how are you different? <laughs> I, I'm just, um, I will relate it to, let's say there's a circle of, you know, you're at a dance party, mm-hmm. you know, there's a circle forming. I may or may not find myself in the center of that circle every once in a while. I'm not afraid to put myself out there. Okay. So you're going to dance in the middle of people. Sure. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, shootouts over time, all of that. Um, you just kind of thrived I loved on it. Loved it. Yeah. I, to me, I think I would just kind of like, Oh, you know, just kind of shrink. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would have been a, maybe a different position. I think so. I definitely think so. Yeah. Um, so for Michigan state then, uh, you have a couple of kids. Their ages are there. I have Thomas, who's seven, and Josephine, who's four. And so you stepped down from coaching college. 
I uh, did. Because it just got to be too much travel. So, yeah. So in the college game, I think we've all known, those of us that kind of pay attention to college athletics, it's changed quite a bit um, from NIL mm-hmm. to the transfer portal, right. um, you know, to the, to the demographic of, of young women we were coaching. Mm-hmm. You know, um, fortunately for soccer, they have a lot of student athletes that don't um, come from at-risk um, you know, environments. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it was, I was like, okay, I want to make a difference. Am I making the best difference I can here at Michigan state? Right. You know, a lot of the student athletes that come in with scholarships, they're wonderful kids, but maybe they're not the kids that, um, were right for me at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I had also lost my mother to cancer fairly quickly during the pandemic. And then my father was diagnosed a month before she passed away with cancer. With cancer. And I know you have suffered a lot of loss, but you told me um, earlier that it just seemed like it just, you knew that they had instilled in you the work ethic to just keep going. I, I, it's, it's the resilience piece. You know, I, I, I never thought again, like you've mentioned, I've lost my sister, my best friend and aunt, your mom, but my mom, I never you know, I was kind of a daddy's girl growing up. Yeah. And I never thought my mom's passing would affect me the way it did. And it really, truly made me look at myself in the mirror and say, what do I really want? What, what life is too short. I'm on the road all the time. Um, we're going through a coaching change at Michigan state. Mm-hmm. Um, can I give the new coach what they need mm-hmm. to turn the program around and make it more successful? Mm-hmm. And my husband and I, God bless him. He was with me through the, through the ride highs right. and lows. I, he's my rock. Um, you know, he just supported me the entire way. And we said, okay, if I'm not in college athletics, what does it look like? And I, you know, I, I went into a new career. I did a career change at 40 years old, which was terrifying. Yeah. Tell us about that. (laughs) Well, you know, my neighbor had, had approached me. Um, we have an incredible neighborhood. Um, and he had approached me and said, you know, why don't you come and come and work for me. Um, you know, if you're kind of figuring things out and I said, Oh, 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 no, I'm good. I'm okay. Like I'll figure it out. Yeah. You know? And then when, after my mom passed, he approached me again, he's like, I think you'd be really good at this. And I was like, okay, well, what, what, what is it? What do you do? (laughs) (laughs) And I laughed because I'm going to say this, what I do now. And you know, you might laugh too, but, um, currently I work for Aflac. You mean because the goose, the, the goose, the duck. And that's why I say you might laugh is because, um, naturally somebody always finds a way to qu- quack at me now. But what really sold me on it is, um, when my mom was diagnosed, my dad was like, and he found out I was going to maybe make a career change. He said, Stacy, we have Aflac. And I go, you have Aflac. I don't know much about this. Like, yeah. what do you have? And he says, well, we had a cancer plan. I gave it up. And I was like, what do you mean you gave it up? And he goes, well, when I retired, I thought I don't need this anymore. And I was like, mom, mom was diagnosed the month after you retired. Oh, wow. So short story, we went back and we looked and the way his policy worked, he, um, the policy terminated June 28th and my mom was diagnosed June 27th. Wow. So she still was covered. So she was still was covered. And so I kind of took that as like, I can do this and, and kind of, in kind of remembrance of your mom, of my mom. Mm-hmm. And so, and to this date, I've only been there for two and a half, three years, but some of the stories and some of the people I've gotten to help is incredible. And, and Aflac aside, I'm, I'm truly thankful for this career because it's also provided me flexibility to be a mom, but you still coach soccer, but I still coach soccer. And so, and you where know, do you coach? So my husband and I, along with another man um, named Dan Jury, 
uh, have been local soccer coaches for since, you know, well, Eric and Dan are a little older than me, so they've been around a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But in 2015, we started a nonprofit club called Cap City Athletic. Mm-hmm. We started with 12 teams. We were, you know, we were terrified that first tryout. We said we didn't, you know, we didn't know what to expect. Um, we had all coached for a different club in the past and just realized that the values and the philosophy maybe weren't aligned. So we broke off. Mm-hmm. And, and so talk, tell about what what are your values yeah. and what were you looking for when you broke off? Oh, love that. Fantastic question. Um, so we were always about the whole person. Mm-hmm. Okay. So soccer is just kind of, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's a sport, right? But there's so many things that can be taught through it. It's more than a sport. It's more than a sport. It's, it's, a, and again, in other countries, it's a way of life, right? It's, it's everything. So we always thought, you know, how can we teach how can we give a brand that shows that we care about the whole person mm-hmm. developing every, you know, developing technical skills, tactical st- skills, um, teachable moments in real life yeah, situations, communication, communication and how you're going to take this off the field into life, body language, yes, body language and in recovery from not su- being successful. Exactly. So, you know, for us, it was all about, it's just different ages, right? Our club is from three years old mm-hmm. to 18. Mm-hmm. Children and young kids and young adults, they need different things at different ages. Sure they do. So you can't have the same philosophy for a four-year-old that you have for a 16-year-old. No, you can't. No. So we recognize that there needed to be a little bit more um, intentional. We need to be more intentional mm-hmm. with how we coached and, you know, 12 and under. This is not about wins. So in our in our perspective, three and four-year-olds have fun. Let's oh, go yeah. out have fun. Let's trip and let's fall and let's learn how to land and let's mm-hmm. learn how to move our bodies. Mm-hmm. And so I coach the five, six and seven year olds and I have the best job, best yeah. job hands down because I get to help develop a passion mm-hmm. and I get to teach these kids what it's like to be passionate about soccer. Oh, I can tell just from looking at you <laughs> and you talking about coaching the look in your, on your face, you are passionate about soccer. There is I, absolutely no doubt about that. I'm sure those I kids love it. love Yes. Yes. And you know, as you get older and how many teams do you have now? So I coach, so we have a group of about 75 kids Mm -hmm. in the age, um, age range of five to eight, five to seven years old. As the club gets older, um, I've had to kind of stay away from the team commitment. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit more travel involved. And again, trying to balance that. But you started, yeah, you started 2015 with 12 12 teams teams. total. Total. And we are, I would like to say between 38 and 42 teams now, about 700 kids in the club. And is it a club that just takes any kid in that wants to play soccer? So one of the cool things about this club is, again, we started as a nonprofit, which because, you know, there there's just so much pressure on kids to be on a travel team, be competitive. And some of those kids just want to play and have fun. So we recognize that. And so specifically at the younger age groups, you'll find areas around here that will travel for U7 and U8 games. They'll travel an hour away. Oh, yeah. Why? Exactly. Why? So, exactly. Um, so a little young, I think. Right. And it's, and it's all about, right. We're not just teaching the, the kids. It's all about parent education too. Mm-hmm. You know, in, we live in a day's age where there's so much FOMO, fear of missing out. If I don't get my kid involved in this now, they're going to be behind. And I we, hear that a lot from yes, young parents. We overschedule our kids. Yes. Um, so, you know, for our eight and unders, we don't travel. Everything's done in house. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we follow a periodization structure where we want kids to do other sports. I mean, the best, 
athletes are multi-sport athletes. They and are. We've and it's away harder. From that. It is harder and harder to find the multi-sport athletes. Yes. They specialize so early. Which leads to more injuries, which leads to burnout. And especially in young females, we're seeing the drop-off rates at 13 and 14 so much higher oh, yeah. nowadays. Um, and I think it's it's due to that competitiveness because they think that they have to play at that level. That's what they see. That's what mm-hmm. they hear. It's on social media. And they're like, well, I'm not good enough to play in college or I don't think I can make the varsity. And they just drop out yes, before even giving it a chance to just learn a little bit of self about life in the game. Yeah. I see that not just soccer, but it's in, it's in all sports, you know, and I, and I, and I agree with that. And obviously at the club, we want to do the best we can. We want to coach the young um, males and females to the highest levels they can play at. Right. Um, but it's not, you know, you go down to Metro Detroit and it's, it's a whole different atmosphere. It's mm-hmm. a little bit more cutthroat down there. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that in our, what ways there's a lot more, there's a lot less loyalty, right? So growing up, I remember in eighth grade, I wanted, I, again, I lived in Madison. The best teams were in Milwaukee. Uh, okay. So very similar to Lansing and Detroit. And I said, dad, I got to go. I got to play on these best teams. That's and, so funny because when I was growing up in Hayes, Kansas, way out West, Western part of the state, all the better tennis players were in the eastern part of the state. Yes. And so for me to travel east to play in a tournament, they're thinking, well, she she can't play. She's not that good. So I wouldn't get seated yes. in a tournament. And then I'd end up getting to the finals or, you know, semifinals. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, where did you come from? You know, it's just kind of that that mentality that you have to break through. Exactly. And, uh, you know, to this day, I my dad sat me down and he said, you have a brother. You have a sister. My mom and dad had had another child after my youngest mm-hmm. passed. That's not fair to them. We are not commuting an hour, you know, three times a week, two hours mm-hmm. for you to play your sport. And then you also need to be loyal to the team and the club that gave you your start. And I didn't realize it at the time, but that's become a big part of who I am. You know, staying at Michigan State for so long, people kept asking, you know, don't you want to be a head coach? Don't you want to move around? Don't you want to? Well, I think also, you know, the kids feel that pressure, but I think we're in the coaching ranks. You feel the same pressure. It's always like, okay, well, here's the goal. Let's move a little further away. Yes. You got to get here. You got to get here. And, and so at some point in your life, you have to say, I've done enough. Right. I'm and, at where I want to be for now. And, and I that's think, okay to say that. That's absolutely okay to say that. And I think... I grew up in a very competitive environment, right? I was blessed and fortunate to get a scholarship. I played at the highest level I could. I am so lucky. Do I want that same path for my children? That's a good question. You know, I always say if they're the ones driving it, I want to do what I can to give them opportunities. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) I think that is so important because I, I went through that with my kids. Yes. And I could see potential. My oldest did end up going to Aquinas College and running track. Awesome. Um, my middle son was at Eastern Michigan for football. And my daughter had a passion for basketball and could have played in a smaller school. Sure. And as much as I wanted her to do that, I stepped back and let her decide. And she just didn't want to play college ball. That's- this is like, Mom, that's not for me. I don't want that commitment. I don't want, I just want to do other things. Yes. And to be okay with that is so important. And I think not only in sports, we need to do that with kids. In other things, we need to do that with them too. Because there's also the drive to be a 4.0 and, you know, be amazing because that's what you see. That's what you hear. And that's what they start talking to you about early on. Mm -hmm. 
But some kids are at 4.0s, but they're still really smart and capable people. And that's that's what I've learned, right? I have this idealistic I, idea of what I want for my kids. Mm-hmm. And my husband is a, he's so good at, you know, I live, I always joke that I live on a roller coaster. The highs are highs, the lows are low. Life is a wild ride. And my husband, he is just straight and steady. And it's a nice combination. It, it, <laughs> I should probably realize that a little bit more. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, when I get, sometimes I get a little excited that our daughter wants to start playing soccer or that our son is mm-hmm. excited. He's always like, you know, Stacy, you know, it, it'll, it'll happen when it happens. Like it's, it's good. And it does. And they'll find it. If, if it's for them, they'll find it. Exactly. They will. And so I, I can appreciate that because sometimes I do get carried away, right? Like <laughs> of if course. my daughter does a little kick in the, in the living room, I'm like, Oh, maybe, <laughs> but then I do, I do have to take a step back. And you know, when you get out there and you're at the club scene and you see all these families and these parents, you if, feel that energy. It starts to kind of get in you, I think, you, and it, you, the, that anxiety, that nervous edge. You do, it, and you I feel it. And I think in my young 20s and my 30s, uh, prior to having kids and prior to maybe developing that confidence I have today, I would let parents dictate a little bit more mm-hmm. than they should have. Mm-hmm. And now I'm comfortable enough as a person, and obviously the club has done well. Where And as a very seasoned soccer coach. <laughs> seasoned. Is that a way of saying I'm old? Um Okay. Well, a very talented soccer coach. Oh, thank coach. you. Thank you. I think it's, I think it's great now where if I have a family in the club that maybe has different views or, or mm-hmm. maybe is a, then, and I'm comfortable enough to say, okay, well maybe this isn't the right place for you. And mm-hmm. I'm happy to help you find it. Mm-hmm. But I think it takes a while. And I think as a female growing up with mostly male coaches and hesitant to take on a head coaching role in my young twenties and thirties, it took me a longer time than most to develop mm-hmm. that confidence. And then all of a sudden it was there one day. Well, that kind of leads into a subject that I want to talk to you about. But before we get there is you mentioned NIL earlier in the transfer portal with college soccer. So what do you think about all that right now? Because <laughs> I think in some ways it's really good, especially for those minor, so-called minor non, non-revenue producing sports. Sure. You know, the kids get a little bit of money, get a little recognition. But I also think the NCAA got the, got, did not get out in front of it because you, now you have top-tier programs, both in women's and men's, they're literally buying players. Yes. What are your thoughts? So I think like with anything, right, you can argue for and against. Mm-hmm. And I've never been a very polarized person. I'm always kind of in the middle mm-hmm. of ideas and thoughts. But on this topic, I'm, I'm a little bit more old school. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, especially with the transfer portal, listen, I didn't play my freshman year and my dad was like, okay, you have two choices, like figure out how to train more and get better or then be done. Exactly. You know, and like, I think that just teaches kids. I think one of the things you teach kids is they're younger. What you're teaching them is to stick with it. Yes. To see it through to the end. Right. Because what I see, oh, I don't like it. I'm leaving. Quick fix. Well, what are you going to do when you get in a job? Mm-hmm. you're just going to keep bouncing around every year or so because you don't like your boss or you don't agree or whatever. I mean, I think it's just, it has its advantages, but I, I it, it's got to be reined in a little bit. I think that's the right way. Could the transfer portal be a great asset? It could, but at the same time, you're seeing it starting to trickle down into high school athletics and yes, you are, you see it in club sports all the time. Okay. Well, I don't like this team. I'm going to go. I mean, there's been players by 14, 15 years old that have been a part of four or five different clubs already. Yeah. And there are players that, you know, in a high profile high school program that'll transfer into a different school to play 100%. for that program. Yeah. Yep. You do see it younger. Exactly. And I, it's, I don't, I, you know, I got out of 
college coaching at the time where that was really taken off. Mm -hmm. So to be fully transparent, I don't, you know, have maybe the background that I should in it. Um, you know, for the Olympic sports, uh, the non-revenue sports that were involved at Michigan state, I, I totally agree with your, your take on it. Like it's a way for them to have a little bit, um, of money coming in. But I think along with NIL comes more of the look at me and with social media, you see, okay, here, look at me now, look at me now. And it's, some of it is in my personal opinion, a little bit about, you know, vanity and like, it is a lot about vanity. And yeah, I well, just, of course it is. Yeah. If you have a hamburger named after you, or, you know, you get a, sh- a new shoe deal or yes. t-shirts, you know, and I think it's great. These kids can do that, but I don't think they need to be an 18 year old needs to be a millionaire. Right. And you're seeing a lot of like self, just the self promotion. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think social media is fantastic. I love it. I'm entertained by it. I don't ever get into <laughs> arguments on it, um, it, but they can be highly entertaining, but I think for me, social media is, is fun. Yeah. It's fun. It's a way if my kids do something goofy and I want to share it, that's great. Yeah. But respecting again, that I'm putting it out there and it's, you know, never going away. So the other topic too, that I think that we can kind of lead into now is, uh, gender equity in sports. Sure. We've talked about that earlier. You know, I didn't have soccer when I was in high school. My eighth grade year was the year that they started playing basketball and no, we did not play half court in dresses. <laughs> we were able to run and dribble and shoot. My grandmother and her two sisters did play that where they had to wear these ridiculous outfits that were made out of wool oh and stockings and all that. And it was oh. half court. They could mm-hmm. not dribble. They played six aside. They could only pass the ball while the men, and this was in the 1920s. Okay. Played regular basketball. Sure. So I think we've come a long way since then. And Title IX came in in 1972, but I'm, I'm still, you know, 10 years down the road and there still was not high school soccer where I went. Um, and, you know, it's just, where, where do you think we are now today in 2023 with women's sports, especially soccer? I think we've come so far in all aspects, um, you know, just to, again, with the help, help of social media, putting, putting some of these things out there and getting more, um, getting it out to audiences who may not have seen it before, what some of these differences are. You know, I know a long time there was something going on three or four years ago about the men's and women's NCAA basketball tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, Where the women's facilities were subpar yes. than what the men's had in the final four. Right. And now social media, you put some of those pictures out and now, you know, they changed spreads, it pretty quickly. Yes. So the power of social media in that aspect can be great. Um, in terms of gender equity, I myself grew up where just opportunities started coming about for girls. Mm-hmm. And so I feel very fortunate. I feel like the timing of me growing up, um, would have been even different three, had I been born three years earlier. Oh, absolutely. It did start happening really fast, but not until lately on the professional level at the word cup level, did they just now get equal pay for women? Sure. Sure. And you know, again, there's arguments for and against it and why in stadium sales and all this. And I, 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 but my take is it when you're playing at that level, the commitment the training, the travel, the time, it's all at the same level. It's no different, right? It's no different for men and women. So pay them the same. Exactly. We went through the same thing with that with tennis, where the purses at Wimbledon, the women would get less than the men, you know, for, for decades. And now in the last few years, I can't give you the exact date. It's equal pay, but it's the same thing. 
you still get the same number of people watching. You still have to put the same training in, the same travel and that commitment. You should get the same pay. Well, I, and I agree with that. I think that the, the other thing is, is take a look at, you talk about gender equity. I remember going to coach, going recruiting mm-hmm. out of the fields and or just going to coach club soccer mm-hmm. at a big national tournament. To every 100 males that were out there coaching or recruiting, there were maybe two or three women. I believe it. So when we started our club, at one point, we had a female on every team mm-hmm. that was that was being coached, whether they were the head coach or assistant, because that was important to us. Females should have female role models. And girls that are playing the game, they want female coaches. Exactly. They will, if you look at statistics, they'll stay in the sport longer. That's And that's incredible. And so now you take a look at exactly what happened to me, right? Mm-hmm. At Michigan State, the time and the commitment... And there's lots of female coaches in division one athletics, two and three Mm -hmm. that make it work. And I am so impressed and amazed because I knew for me having two little ones at home and Mm -hmm. also being married to another coach, which might make it a little different. Mm -hmm. It was hard to stay in the game at the level that was required and needed. Oh, sure. And be a mom. You're expected to work like you don't have kids. You are a mom like you don't. Exactly. Have a job. <laughs> and, and I and I think that's it's coming around a little bit to that where people are a little bit more accommodating, especially in work situations. But you're right. I mean, when I had my three, I took a step back. Yes. Um, one, because I wanted to sure. and spend time with them. And I would never trade that time ever. But it is harder to keep your career going. And you do have to think of things differently. But I can tell you. It is completely worth the time and effort. I would never trade that time yes, whatsoever. I agree. And I'm just thankful to have a partner in life who knows, knows and understands. That's and awesome. He is very supportive and we've had open dialogue. Like, should I do more coaching? Should you do less? And you know, we're most of the time we're on agreement. Does he coach in the same program? <laughs> he does. He does. So he, um, he takes more of the, the team commitment where he's traveling a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of the, the questions and challenges we're going to have coming up is our son does still play soccer. So, you know, should he coach his son? Should he not? Should I coach our son? And <laughs> I don't want to. I, yeah, I was never one to really want to coach my kids. No, my husband did. He sure. coached basketball and football. And I was just amazed that he could do that. Yes. And I think kids respond to different, uh, you know, my son responds to me differently than he does his dad. For me, I wanted to just kind of take a back seat and let them find their way. Yes. And I would support the team in other ways. Yes. Especially being a physical therapist, kind of the quasi trainer mom, you know, if someone's got a sprained ankle, come look at this. I did a lot of that. Yeah. Track, basketball, softball. But it's fun to just be a mom too. It is really fun to be a mom. Yep. Absolutely. I I love being a mom. Yep. And And you do too. I do. And I like sitting on the sidelines when my husband's coaching. And just sitting back and relaxing and and listening to the other parents. And then they're like, who's that? And I'm like, oh, I'm Stacy. I'm the coach's wife. And then (laughs) goes quiet for a little bit. (laughs) Watch what you say. (laughs) So... Oh my gosh, it's been so fun talking to you. So you know you've listened to the first episode. Yes. So yes. you understand the title and the meaning behind Do I Need My Racket? Yes. And at the end of every podcast, I ask my guest what their racket is. You had time to think about that? So Stacy. Yes. What is your racket? I would say it's just... You know, and I, I think, it, like I mentioned maybe before, it might have changed over the years. Sure. But I think it always comes back to passion and resilience. Mm-hmm. And there is 
for me, soccer is my racket. It is the one, like, I don't know if I can say that, but it is the one place where I feel my true, genuine, authentic self. And whether it's, you know, whomever I meet, there's soccer always comes up in a conversation. It's I could I could see that for sure. Yeah. Oh gosh, I'm that person. Um, but, but I that's, think that's that's who you are. Yes. Celebrate that. Thank you. Thank you. Celebrate that. And I think just like sport, you know, with sport, there's highs and lows. With life, there's highs and lows. And it's how do you manage those highs and lows and just the resilience to keep going? Because mm-hmm. because you you've had some highs and lows. And soccer, from when you were very young, has always been there for you. Yes, it's been my my constant. Mm-hmm. Yep. So right. my racket is soccer, if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> Completely makes sense. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for spending time with me today. And I look forward to speaking with you in the future. Absolutely. Thank you again for having me. You're welcome. After our interview, I looked over at Stacy and asked her if she had anything else she wanted to add to our conversation. I noticed a light in her eye that touched my heart. And I asked her, Do you ever have a sense that your sister and your mom are sitting on your shoulder, giving you a nudge sometimes? Yes, Stacy said. I call it a wink from God. And I said, I know exactly what you mean. I know my sister Carla sits on my shoulder, giving me an occasional nudge just when I seem to need it. Stacy then added, it's all about being part of a team. Well, soccer is a universal sport played in every corner of the world. But in the U.S., participation is declining for ages 6 to 12 when kids are just starting to develop. In 2008, the participation rate was 10.4%. In 2021, participation rate has declined to 7.4%. Kids are dropping out because too much emphasis is placed on winning, individualism, and traveling soccer clubs. Their number one reason for quitting? It's not fun. Number two, too much pressure. Number three, they think they have to play on a club travel team and they're not good enough to play soccer, much like I felt I wasn't good enough to be a physical therapist. And number four, it's economically unaffordable. If we want kids to play soccer as Stacy DeLong coaches, it's about the whole person. Have fun, laugh, dance, teach skills that add resilience to stick with it, not quit, even when it's difficult. Teach skills about being on a team and the gifts of being on a team. A shout out to Cap City Athletic, a soccer club that does it the right way, a soccer club that coaches the whole person, a soccer club that coaches teachable moments they can take off the field. And because Cap City Athletic has done it the right way, since 2015, they have grown from 12 teams to 42 and almost 700 kids. It's a soccer club we can all learn from because, as Stacy says, It's more than a game. Thanks, as always, to Tudor Big from Big Sound and Lighting for producing and editing this podcast and for producing the original theme music. And thank you for all of you out there for supporting us and listening. For more information about In Her Name Foundation, visit our website at inhernamefoundation.org. Join us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our newsletter or make a donation. We look forward to meeting all of you again and sharing our next episode of Inspiration. Until then, see you next time, and be prepared to bring your racket.